real lawyers, real life challenges, and of course, we're always interested in real results and what the lawyers did to get those real results. Welcome to the podcast. This podcast is for you if you have your own law firm, if you have a real life business management challenge with your law firm, and if you are committed to putting in the work that it takes to get real results. There's no magic pills. This podcast is not for you if your law firm is perfect. If you never have any marketing or sales or management or financial challenges because you're just so perfect. Good for you, but that's not the rest of us. The rest of us have real life challenges. This podcast is also not for you if you are looking for a magic pill. Your law firm is a real business and it responds in very predictable and very real ways to certain inputs around each of the seven main parts of every successful law firm. If you input garbage, your law firm is going to give you garbage. If you input good, proven law firm management practices, then your law firm is going to work for you, and it will be profitable and fun and really great to run and not eat you alive. In each episode, we interview a real lawyer with a real law firm that was experiencing some very real challenges. And we asked that lawyer, our guest, to speak openly and honestly with us about one big challenge they were experiencing with their law firm, how they overcame it, and what the results have been since then. And we know that you, our listeners, want to know, so we are going to ask our guests to get into some specific details about the nature of the challenge and exactly what steps they took to overcome it so that you can know that you can do the same thing in your law firm if and when you ever experience a similar challenge, or maybe even get some ideas to prevent the challenge from bubbling up to the surface in the first place. Our guest this week is my friend, really excited to have as, as a guest this, this week, Sarah Porras from Hartford, Connecticut. Sarah, welcome to the show. Thanks, John. And before we get started, I feel like we've got to disclose a few, a few things, just in the interest of full disclosure. Um, we first met when you interviewed me for The Art of Being Solo, the project you were doing back in 2014, I think it was, right? Yeah. You want to just tell everyone a little bit about how that came about and how yeah. we met, and, and, and that's just such a great story. Well, I, it was early 2014, and I'd been tossing around this idea of starting to do some legal professional coaching myself. You know, in hindsight, I really didn't know anything. Um, and a girlfriend of mine um, also wanted to do something like that, so I said, why don't we pair up and see if we can turn it into something. And then she said, let's go to this conference. It was this conference in San Diego, and it was a conference uh, for, it was a sales pitch for a program to teach coaches how to be how to have coaching businesses so she and I signed up and my project to gain a following to gain an, an email list was called the art of being solo so I was catering to solo and small firm attorneys who wanted to improve their lives um, you know spend more time with their families earn better income increase the revenues to their firms and I was looking for people like you who were focusing on some kind of solo practice management um, topic and yours was just the most general, all-encompassing, and, and I called you up, and you got on the, the on Skype with me, and the rest is sort of history. <laughs> well, no, I, I think there's actually a lesson here, because you did something that most struggling lawyers are afraid to do, and, and that, that showed me a lot about what you were made of. You reached out to me. And we didn't know each other. We had never met each other. We had never exchanged emails before. We didn't know each other at all, right? I had never even gone to your website until I was looking for speakers for my project. And then I barely scratched the surface, and I was like, oh, this guy looks like he would fit the bill, and, and we just connected. Yeah. And, and the thing is that that's something that so many struggling lawyers do is they sit around and they never take action. They got all these great ideas. I mean, everyone's got lots of great ideas, but they don't take action on the ideas. And that really is amazing because you had this idea 
you went to the con- you got on a plane, you flew from Connecticut to California to go to that conference. You signed up for something, and you know maybe it's going to work, maybe it's not going to work, but you took a chance on yourself, you invested in yourself, and you you know and and then you found me and you reached out to me, a total stranger. I could have been a jerk. Turns out I wasn't a jerk, but I could have been a jerk. I could have said something that hurt your real feelings. And, you know, then you run away and say, well, that doesn't work. But you took action. And that was huge, right? And I think what's interesting is that um, what, what, I, what I think is really weird is that I was actually looking – I felt, I felt like it kind of went along with my solo practice, this trying to help other attorneys. And the, 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 the content I had that I was trying to coach around and sell was – getting attorneys to actually charge for their time. It was this very, I knew it was just this very narrow thing, but I saw it had wide-reaching effects and implications, not only for each individual attorney, but for other attorneys in that attorney's market who implemented the paid consultation model, and then that was going to raise standards for all attorneys, because if no attorneys give away their time for free, with some exceptions, of course, but if we stop giving away our time for free, the valuable information we've learned over the years and we paid to go to school to learn and all the experience, if we stop giving that away for free, if we know where to draw the line, then people start to appreciate the value of legal services. But if everybody's just free consultation, free consultation, it's hard for the rest of us to get people to value legal services, and then it would be hard for me or anyone else to really charge meaningful fees for those services. And so somehow I just felt like I really wanted to make that point, but it came out of not being fulfilled in my solo practice. As weird as that is, because I have such a fulfilling practice area, working with people who are in debt, people who are in financial crisis, people who are in foreclosure, to have not gotten enough out of that and to look look for another way to get fulfillment is really something I don't know that I can explain. But Well, there was a lot you didn't know about how to run the business in a way so that the business worked for you and you were sort of a slave to your business back then. Yes, I, I would totally agree with that, and that's exactly where I was when I took that training and when I signed up with you because I, you know, full disclosure too, as I did become a client of How to Manage a Small Law Firm, um, was that I was burnt out. And my burnout wasn't exhibiting itself in the form of not wanting to go to work or being depressed, but it was I was getting resentful. You know, everybody I knew worked at a university and had all this paid time off. And they looked at me, and they were like, well, she's a lawyer. She must be rich. And I just got nuts because they could get paid sick days. And you, you know you're sick, and you're, the only, you're a one-man show, and you don't, you don't bill hours that day. You don't get paid. So just it was really building. The resentment was really building, and that's why I saw the coaching as like a way out of being tied to that. So. And so it was kind of interesting because the original call that we had scheduled, and I remember – I was in Big Bend, Indiana, oh, of all places. I was, in, I was in Big Bend, Indiana. I was speaking. I was going all over the country. LexisNexis and Microsoft had hired me or had contracted with me to go around the country. And to pro- I produced a, a thing called the National CLE Tour. And we went to something like 25 or 30 different cities over two years and uh, put on these CLE presentations about the business of running a law firm. And I was in Big Bend, Indiana, doing the presentation, and we had an appointment scheduled to speak. And we were originally going to speak about the prospects of being a guest on your show. Right. And next thing you know, we just said, let's just start recording this. Then we shot the interview, right? Yeah, and that was great, and I was totally clueless. And it was about a half an hour. And then um, I stopped the recording, and we kept talking. And you and I have talked about this since, how that next – I think you kept me on 45 minutes – that next 45 minutes is what I really should have recorded because I lied to you about what I charged. Um, you really made me tune into what do I really want, why am I really doing this, and it turned into um, you know, me understanding I needed to get help to run my law practice, and it could be so much if I did. If I just got some help, I could exponentially yeah. increase the number of people I could help. I could exponentially increase the, the, the fulfillment I got from it. Um, and it could exponentially increase my my lifestyle and my ability to to continue to help people and to spread a legacy of consumer protection, give give homeowners and give consumers a voice, and um, you know with just a little help. And I think I've I achieved that in a very short period of time with the help. 
those those lost 45 minutes. You know, I remember one of my favorite <laughs> one of my favorite stories is about, and I promise everyone who's listening to this, we are going to get to the name, rank, and serial number, and get to Sarah's challenge and the solution. It's just I, I just love this this we so much this story. We will walk down memory lane. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I remember it was about a year or so after you, you, you wrote your business plan, you wrote your marketing plan, you put your sales strategies together, you got your, 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 your menu of services organized and streamlined, and you were really starting to get some real traction, and we were starting to see a lot of growth in your business. And I remember your name really started to get out there, and uh, <laughs> I remember you told a story, you, you shared a story with me, about how a woman was in court representing herself against the bank, and the bank was really giving her a hard time and bullying her. And she said, if you don't treat me with more respect, I'm going to call Sarah Porras. And the lawyer said, said, basically complained to the judge, she's threatening us. <laughs> what is that, a threat? Uh, yeah. Getting Sarah Porras on my side is a threat to the bank. Damn right. <laughs> All right. So um, we should also mention that in addition to producing the Art of Being Solo project, which – can people still watch that or listen to that? Is that still available yeah, for people if they want to see I that? Yeah, I think the, the website – you can still opt in and, uh, and start seeing those videos for sure, artofbeingsolo.com. And, and it's free. Yeah, we're not selling anything. You can just enjoy it. Artofbeingsolo.com. Lots, lots of content and, about going paperless and all kinds of stuff um, for law practice management. Yeah. And you can even find the original the original interview, circa 2014. Right. In fact, I think um, our um, second interview, we actually did a follow-up, is in there as well. So. Okay, cool. Yeah, we did that one. Um, I remember that. I did that one. I did the first one in a hotel room, and I did the second one in my dining room. Okay, right, um, I remember that too, yeah. And then you also have the American Bar Association has ranked your blog one of the top 100 blogs like two years in a row, right? Yep, 2015, 2016. And I think what's amazing is that the first year was the first year I was doing any blogging with regularity, and it got recognized. So that was – I don't know how they picked it up, but they did. That was thrilling. And that blog is where? Uh, just at my website, sarahporis.com. Sarahporis.com for two R's. Nope, one R, two S's. One R, two S's. S-A-R-A-H-P-O-R-I-S-S dot com. Got it. All right. So name, rank, and serial number. We got to get to it. Um, How old are you? 47. And you are married to Paul? Yes. And kids or no kids? No kids. One dog. Aging. An aging dog. No two-legged kids? Nope. All right. And what did you study before you went to law school? French and organic farming. French and organic farming. Not okay. together, just French major in college, and then I went off and did did some organic farming and a bunch of other things, and I was, went to law school seven years after undergrad. Okay. Um, any experience running any kind of a business during that period of time? No. Okay. Anyone in your family ever run any kind of a business when you were growing up? You know, yes. My father was self-employed. He dealt in antiques, but I wasn't really in tune to the the finances of that. I don't think he really was either, and the IRS found out about that. So that's a whole other story. But no, so no no mentorship at, you know, growing up of, of entrepreneurship or anything. Okay. And where did you go to law school? University of Connecticut. And what did you learn in law school about the business of running a law firm? Nothing. And why, why did, how long after you got out of law school did you decide to start your own law firm? Four years. Uh, four years this week. This is the first week of October, and I went solo in October 2006, four years after I finished law school. And what did you do during those four years? I was an associate at a small consumer protection firm here in Connecticut. Um, I did observe a little bit of the the way the money worked. Um, I got a couple of tidbits on how to manage an IOLTA account, and we did start doing paid consultations um, 
And so I was aware that some money was being put, you know, sent in our direction. We did mostly plaintiff side work, so we normally didn't charge retainers or anything. So, but when we did start uh, charging for paid consultations, um, that's a little bit of the awareness I got about the value of that. But other than that, nothing about how the economics or finances of the firm worked. Yeah, they didn't teach you pricing strategies or cost of goods sold or understanding why gross profit is is really the most critical thing in the whole business. Right. I mean, um, things like things like get a line of credit before you really need one was wise, you know. But like really, like on, on less than five fingers, I could count the tidbits I picked up about about running a law firm, the money of running a law firm. So, you know, it's interesting you mentioned the IOLTA account. Um, when I was at the Florida bar, I learned, I, I learned how to manage a trust account when I worked, when I went to go work at the Florida bar law office management assistance service. Before that I was practicing law and didn't have a clue how to run a trust account. And I was scared to death of my trust account. And once I got to the bar, I, I learned how to manage a trust account. And, um, you know, it's such a valuable skill. It's such a useful tool to have in your arsenal to protect the profits of your law firm. And yet, the only thing that anyone ever teaches you in law school or, or, in the, or, or in the CLEs that you have to take right after you get out of law school about your trust account is they wag your finger, they wag their finger at us and they say, here's all the things you shouldn't steal about, and don't steal money from your trust account. Right, like, really? Right, right. You, had to, you actually felt like you had to put that as a bullet point on the agenda, huh? Don't, well, I should write that down. Don't steal they money had to from your cover, trust they account. They had to cover themselves and say, we told them that they shouldn't steal. Yeah, school, exactly. That's really all we get. Yeah. Right, but they don't actually teach you how to manage your trust account. They just tell you all the things not to do. Okay, I'm not going to go on that side on that side tangent. <laughs> um, we do have a free video that anyone can download if you want to watch, entitled uh, "A Simple System for Medi for Managing and Making a Profit with Your Trust Account That Won't Make You Feel Like an Idiot" or something like that. Um, I'll find it and make sure I put it somewhere when this thing gets posted live. All right, so. Why did you finally decide after four years to start your own law firm? I don't really know. I, I think I just kind of lost um, my oomph for the work we were doing, um, probably because the firm wasn't in growth mode. There wasn't anything exciting about it. We weren't really doing anything different. I think I really don't know. I just sort of saw uh, I saw another opportunity to maybe take a break from what I really wanted to do. And I went in that direction for a very short period of time, which was doing some document review, which paid pretty well back then. But, um, you know, but, but then you eventually started your own firm. Yeah, I mean, within a couple of weeks, actually, my old boss called back and said, you know, there's people here who are being sued for credit card debt. You know, I used to go after debt collectors for harassing people, but sometimes those people were also being sued for collection. And so he said, you know, we don't do defense, but if you know, want me to send them your way. And I was like, sure. You know, I'm just going to have to figure out how to charge them. And I, it took off from there. I mean, within a month, I had 20 clients. Within two months, I had 40. Um, using various marketing methods around that. Nobody else was doing just that, so that worked for me. Okay. And just so we can put a label on it, and also just because we, we, we do these questions with everyone we interview, uh, what exactly does your firm do? When, people, when you're out at a networking event and people say, what do you do, which you better expect everyone that when you're out networking, someone's eventually going to say, what do you do? So you better be ready for that question. Uh, what is your what is your response? Now my response is I save homes from foreclosure. I save homes from foreclosure. That's great. Um, and let's just put some numbers to it. Uh, Twenty. When was your first year? Oh God, like first full year. Two thousand seven. Two thousand seven. So between like two thousand seven and two thousand thirteen, I would do between fifty five and eighty a year, something like that. Okay, and then 2014? 2014 was the year I joined How to Manage Small Law Firm, and I was on track to do 80, and I did 100. 15? 175. 16? 283. Last year, 17? 323. And this is 2018, and uh, we're in October, so... I think you got a pretty good idea what you're going to wrap the year up with. What's that going to be? You know, I am – this is sort of the challenge that I'm going to talk about is a, a 
switch has been finally flipped. And so I'm really tracking only a little more than I was last year, and I'm not dwelling on that too much. But I think that I've finally figured some stuff out, and I think 2019 is going to be the year I finally see this growth that so many of your members see. And I think that just proves that when your head, when you find, when you do the work in your head and you put the processes in place in the firm together, then you you have success. So. Um, I don't think I'm going to do more than 350 this year, and that's okay. I learned my lesson. Okay. Um, well, hey, look, to go from 55 to 350 is <laughs> that's a lot. Yeah, I look at it as that year I I was going to do 80 and didn't. You know, I figure it's it's over almost four times. You know, four or five times what where I where I was without the program was you know in 2014. So. And, and I think I have to just say, because I, I feel sometimes like you don't give yourself enough credit, and, um, and, and I, I'm a huge fan of yours. I, I think you know that. Um, there are some other improvements and changes that you've made in your life that don't show up necessarily on a profit and loss statement that are just invaluable. I mean, just, just you've transformed yourself in so many important ways, haven't you? Yeah, I mean, if you're talking about, so like in that lost 45 minutes that we had together, um, one thing you did, and I think, think, I think this is a typical uh, uh, exercise, and I, I've done this with people, like who I'm in, interviewing and hiring. Um, you know, you say, what do you really want? And you said, do you want a better house? Do you want a better car? I'm like, no, 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 shiny objects aren't my thing. You were like, what do you want? I said, I want to spend time in the south of France with my husband every year. You were like, why don't you do it? I'm like, oh, we don't feel like we could afford it. And you walked me through what it would really cost. And we do it now. This will be the third year in a row. We go to about eight or nine days to the south of France between Christmas and New Year's. And we, we're upping, we're like upgrading our accommodation and everything that we do each year we go. And I love that we set this goal that I didn't think was achievable. And now I'm doing it routinely, which feels great. And it's not just the money, it's the time, because while you're gone, your business is still functioning for you. Right. Oh, and that's just, that's not the only vacation we take. We take a full week in March, a full week in July. You know, I go to all the quarterly meetings for how to manage. I do other workshops and conferences. I travel a lot now, and the business runs really well. It almost, you know, runs better without me around. And speaking of running, <laughs> uh. You're not going to mention that? Well, you know, one thing at a time. So the other thing I started in 2015 was, actually it was four years ago at the October quarterly meeting in 2014 where I said, I'm committing to running a half marathon. And so many people supported that. I had no idea how I was going to do it, but I did sign up for a training program that was geared towards entrepreneurs that I'm going to talk about in a few minutes because it's vital in this challenge I'm having and how, it's, how I'm coming out of it. And um, that year I did at least two half marathons. I've taken up triathlons, and now I can bang out eight miles, ten miles on a run without even thinking about it. Um, and I'm doing a half marathon next weekend, another one. My hometown Hartford half marathon for the fourth time now. So it feels good. It's so, natural. Yeah. So now we know you're a real lawyer, right? You have a real law firm. You have a real life. Um, you're not just, you know, I mean, you're, you're like a real person that, that I'm sure – hundreds if not thousands of people who will be listening to this can relate to and you know and and understand that you you have this rich and wonderful life that you've built for yourself um and that's just now everyone gets it okay so and i go home at what lunch is, and walk my dog every day you know and i i have the luxury of being able to do that and i'm still yeah i'm still like a real person too this success and increase in my reputation and what I'm able to do for homeowners, I still have my feet on the ground, which is great. I want to just segue into what is the real-life challenge you came on the show to share with our listeners, because I want to make sure we don't run out of time, but I just want one last sidetrack, because I think this is important for people to, to, to consider, to think about, to imagine. Can you just speak for a minute about the impact that you get to have in your community now that you have a real business working for you versus the impact 
that you were able to have back then when you basically just had a job, you created a job for yourself? Well, I know that, that people know that my that other business owners who I've connected with over the years, that my fellow you know, members of the bar who know what I do, they know they can send me clients and that they will be taken care of or that I will properly evaluate and re-refer to the right resource. Um, and I have the time to do that and I have the resources, you know, the connections to do that. And I really don't let anybody fall through the cracks and get a, get away with calling my office and not either having the opportunity to, to have me help them with their issue or for, for them to pass them along to someone who really can. And I don't think I would have had well, you shared a story. Yeah. You shared a story with me uh, some time ago, and or I guess it was last year, and um, this is where I thought you were going to go with the, with the answer, so I'm, mm-hmm. I'm going to steer sorry. you a little bit. Uh, that's a, don't be sorry. The more we get, the better. But I want to make sure you definitely talk about this because this is so important for the listeners to hear and understand and really understand there's a different way of living. Um, you told me a story about how you recognize when you're representing someone who's in foreclosure or someone who's you know really under tremendous financial pressure, how you could see that they don't show up as the best version of themselves and they tend to compound their problems with the kind of thinking that comes from being under all that pressure. And, and you said you realize that, you know what I'm trying to say? You know what, you're gonna have to guide me a little further. You told Wait, me a story. Today about how you saw how all these, all these clients of yours, how they, how they come to you and they got all these financial problems and all this financial pressure and all the stress that it creates in their marriages and all the stress that it creates with their kids and how they end up having problems at work and they end up having problems at home and how it all just feeds in on itself and they take bad situations and make them worse all because they're under so much pressure. And then we were having a conversation about lawyers who are – they don't have a business plan. They don't have a marketing plan. They don't have any financial controls. Their business yeah. is eating them alive. And then they just make the situation go from bad to worse because of all the things we just talked about and how it's actually right. becoming a competitive advantage for you to be able to be that rare lawyer who actually has your shit together and your head screwed on straight. And you're not thinking from a place of poverty mindset and lack and you can't do this and you can't do that because, hey, I just came back from three weeks in the, in the south of France and I can think through this situation clearly, that whole thing. That's, yeah, yeah, and I think sometimes my mentors see that more, more than I do. But, yeah, I mean, I, I for sure have the resources to see a case through. If someone needs a court fee and I have to advance it, it's no big deal. And I see people dabbling in what I do, and I can tell they took. And I end up cleaning up the mess. They then come. To, I said, "What about that guy that you hired?" Oh well, we gave him our thousand dollars, and then he said the retainer was up. We're just going to have to move out. And I just, you know, I would never. I'm able to um, to see why that guy did that and how it can harm people. How, and then I end up having to clean it up. Um, and, and you're able to have a staff, and you can hire yeah. people to, to give yourself some leverage so you can bring your unique brilliance to the strategy of the case instead of, like, wearing yourself out, like, wearing yourself numb on the tedious stuff that you now can hire staff to help you with. Absolutely. Yep. And, and the best thing I've just delegated is all of my keeping track of the bookkeeping, keeping track of the money that comes in, and having someone call when a client's behind. And that is such a pleasure to hear my admin making those calls and having it off my plate. So it's great. I would never want to refer someone who's having financial problems to a lawyer who's having financial problems. I mean, that, that's just the worst thing to do to a client is to, is to put them into, in, you know, to make a referral to another lawyer who is like down in the same problem as they are that you know that kind of thinking doesn't get people out of trouble yeah I, I 100% and I'm not agree. suggesting that yeah. I'm sorry I 100% agree and you know I think sometimes I see referrals being made because that guy needs some you know needs the business and that's just not um, you know I've really avoided referring some business to certain people because I know that's what's going on so um, if that doesn't scare someone listening um, into getting their finances in order. And, and I think it, it comes, you know, the motivator for that is to make sure you're taken care of. You know, it bothers me when I, now when I hear people say my business is my baby. 
and I don't know if it was you or, or who, who said it, but it's like, no, I'm the baby. I want the business to take care of me. And when it does, it's also taking care of the client. Exactly. And, and, I, and I just want to say this for the benefit of everyone listening, that I'm not suggesting that there ever comes a point where you're not concerned about the finances of the business. We're always focusing on balancing growth and cash flow and profitability and lines of credit and all those kinds of things. I mean, that just goes with running a business. But there's a difference between being concerned and paying attention and attentive and responsible over the finances of your business versus just, you know, pacing, pacing the floors in the middle of the night. Because anyway, I, yeah. I made my point. What is yeah. the challenge you came on the show to share? Well, it's funny because I was just um, recently listening to one of your early um, episodes. Uh, I think it was Jen in Atlanta, Atlanta Personal Injury. And she said the same thing that I'm going to say, which is basically the phone stopped ringing. Um, this is early October, and in maybe the second week of September, I realized that if the phone was ringing, it was the, the wrong stuff, the wrong calls. And I realized, wow, we're getting so many of these wrong calls. I think they're they're elbowing out the right calls. And then when I really looked at the numbers, I had one lead, uh, viable lead, contact me at the end of August. He's scheduled to come in, say, September 4th. He did, but he needed a week or two to pay the retainer. And he was my only new client in September. And I had no other, like new, like very few new potential foreclosure client calls that would be somebody who needed to retain me um, in that whole month. And I mean, normally we do six, seven, eight, ten new clients a month. And um, so this was just, I just was hit such a low. I just couldn't believe it. It was as if, it was as if the I just totally started going into like victim mentality. Like the world is just turning against me. Nobody wants to work with me, you know, just every, like, defeatist uh, mindset, you know, thing I could think of was just bombarding me all at once, and the the prospect of, of starting to run out of money and not be able to pay people, I mean, just all the nightmare scenarios, and um, that was tough. It was, it was a dark month. Or maybe <laughs> it was a sign of hope that suddenly – the banks became more reasonable, the credit card companies became more fair, and the clients became more fiscally responsible. Why couldn't you look for the optimistic solution? You know, I mean, that's great. I always sort of talk about what will I do when? What will I do when, you know, people need less help with foreclosures? What will I do when, you know, and I fill in the blank. I've, I always just had more time to prepare. I have blown with the wind over the years, and that's why I've evolved into almost all foreclosure defense. But I I just couldn't see shifting quickly enough, you know, if, and that was one of the defeatist things that was going through my head was, oh my God, now I've got to do something. What if I have to do something new? I don't know how to do anything else. Um, so I knew there was an opportunity in here. I knew just I'd done enough reading of the right books and taking enough of the right, you know, listening to the right podcasts and things. I knew that this was, should be an opportunity. I knew there was an opportunity in there. And and I, I think I found it um, because all along, you know, since 2014, I've been sort of waiting for this moment that was going to blow open what was holding me back to have that million-dollar firm. And um, although I made lots of small steps in the right direction, um, I still didn't feel like there was the thing, I figured the thing out. Um, and I knew, too, and I've been saying to myself for the last couple of years, What's gotten me here, what got me from 80 a year to 300 a year, isn't going to get me to 500, 750, or a million. I knew I had to do new things or different things. And I've said that to myself over the years, but I couldn't figure out what those things were or how much of them to do. Um, so I was on one of my calls with a member of your staff, and it kind of came to me. And I said, you know, I've been kind of not – sticking to a really good routine with my workouts this summer. And I knew as I would pare down my weekly routine and cut out a run and cut out a workout, I knew that that meant something for the business because the, the training program, the running training program I started in 2015 was specifically for entrepreneurs. And as we would have weekly group coaching calls with the coach and as we followed our workout calendars, you know, the, the conversation wasn't about your mile time. The goal wasn't to get from a nine-minute mile to an eight-minute mile. That had nothing to do with it. But the coach would say, if I got on the call and said, you know, I just haven't fit in my workouts the last three days. 
And the coach would say, well, what else aren't you fitting in that you know you're supposed to do? There's a parallel. You know, the whole, the way you do one thing is the way you do everything. And so we, you know, I've sort of been training my brain to think if I'm not doing the things I know I'm supposed to do at home or in my workouts or in my business, it's showing up other places. So I had this little revelation. I said, finally, I think I figured out what I was doing all summer. I was just doing the minimum. I was just doing what I could get away with doing to be able to do the workouts I wanted to do, have, have the endurance to do what I wanted to do, but nothing extra. And that's exactly what I was doing with my business all summer, just doing the minimum to pay the bills. And it caught up to me. And that, I think that was the realization I needed to figure out the, the way out of it and to turn it around. So as an aside, I highly suggest that everybody who isn't already on some kind of training calendar find one, find a, find a group and find one for entrepreneurs and take that, and take that attitude of it with it. And it could just be for, to get to where you can walk a 5K or run a 5K. It doesn't have to be half marathons or, or an Ironman. Just do something parallel if you're trying to grow your business, and you will see. It will keep you sane. First of all, it really has kept me sane. But I think you'll, you'll learn things about yourself out on the road running that you don't learn behind your desk, but they do translate. I've had revelations about how to manage my office while I'm out on my bike that I would not have had just coming into the office and grinding it out every day. So that's my, my plug for just sign up for something. I think how to manage should have a, a workout program, a training program, but that's conversation for another day, Arjun. <laughs> yes. You know, a woman came to Gandhi, so the story goes, and said, please, Gandhi, help me. My son eats too much sugar. Would you please tell him to stop eating so much sugar? And Gandhi said, uh, yes, uh, come back in a month and I will help you. And so the woman went away. She came back with her son a month later. And she said, Gandhi, we come back in a month. You know, I don't know why you needed, you know, but, that, you know, please help me tell my son to stop eating so much sugar. And Gandhi turned to the kid and said, you should really stop eating so much sugar. And the woman said, Gandhi, you made me come back many miles. It was very difficult to get here the first time. It was even more difficult to get here the second time. Why did you make me come back after a month? And Gandhi said, a month ago, I was eating so much sugar myself. I had to stop eating sugar so I could say with integrity to your kid, stop eating so much sugar, which is another way of saying when I lose 10 pounds because I get on the road and start running again, I will then be able to have a workout program with how to manage a small office. Okay. In the meantime, I haven't worked out in a month. <laughs> what else haven't you been doing? Okay, anyways. Um, so a lot. I, no, but, I you know, realized... everything you're saying is 100% true because, um, you know, I, I, I usually, I usually I, not, I mean, not nearly as extensively as you, but I, I usually swim uh, for right. about 25 or 30 minutes a day, maybe three days a week, sometimes four days a week. Um, I usually either go for a walk for a few miles with my wife uh, around the community, or we ride our bikes for, you know, half an hour around the community. And just the last month, I, some, just a bunch of stuff is going on. And, you know, we've had a, a lot of, a lot of contractors in the house doing home improvements and, you know, all kinds of stuff happening and, Blah, 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 blah. Right, right. Not an excuse, just, you know, you just yeah. fall out of a routine. And next right. thing you know, and, and you're absolutely right that it shows up in the business as well. So what I, think, I decided, what I decided I needed to do, and I did this starting Friday, September 28th, was, I mean, I had this conversation on Thursday, and, and my, my uh, outside CEO said, what are you going to do? And I go, I'm going to make a calendar. What do you mean you're going to make a calendar? I'm going to make a calendar that on the top of the page it has the workout for the day and the bottom of the page it has the marketing activity for the day. And I'm going to treat the marketing activity like a workout activity. So I have I held three pieces of paper, landscape uh, orientation. I have them right here. Drew a line across the middle, you know, wide, the wide part, and I broke it up into seven days. The top part of the top box on the page is the workout, and the bottom box is the list of things I have to get done marketing that day. And I have a page a week. And so I'm on day eight, I think. I started Friday the 28th. 
and I have all the workouts done, and I haven't done eight days of workouts in a row in a long, long time, and I've just made myself do something every day, and that's the easy part. Then I have to get to the office, even on Saturday and Sunday, which I've done, and do the marketing activities, and um, and I have all kinds of stuff, and so that's great. So I'm doing all these marketing activities. It's kind of like throwing spaghetti on the wall. So on top of that, I've incorporated two or three other things to make it all work together because I kind of my 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 evil subconscious wants me to do all of this and still have it fail right like I want to be right that the world is against me but I know I can't do that um that's really self-indulgent and I left myself a few minutes of that and then realized you know what I got people to to pay I've done so much with this I'm not going to shut it down now just do something do something and something will happen so I realized though that just going through the motions of doing my marketing activities might not get the results that, that I'm hoping for, that, that I want. So I've decided to add in a few more elements. And one is I realized, I think, in the last several months, I've sort of lost my, what, I, what, was, so, what was so fulfilling for me in the early years of my solo practice, which was I was always present. Whenever I was talking to somebody, I was really listening to what they were saying. I was really empathetic with their situation. And I was really generous with my time and information. And I'm starting to get back in touch with that. And that's putting a sincerity into the marketing activities that might have been lacking that resulted in my phone stopping ringing for six weeks. Um, well, if you're I'm not also, taking care of yourself, it's hard to take care of other people. Yeah. And I think in the back of my mind, I was, had this impatience and this, you know, oh, you know, I just want the money to come in. I don't want it to be hard. You know, that's, that, that'll come out one way or the other. People will, will sense that and feel that. Um, and then I'm really focusing on how many new potential clients can I speak to each week. So I'm really keeping track of those numbers because if I can have four a week and all of them become clients, that's four new clients in a week. And I talked again to my outside CEO this week, and she said, oh, my gosh, so, so far, you know, so just fast forward to the results, so far this week I've already – um, close two people, and that's two, you know, one more than the whole month of September. It's just the first week of October. So already the, the momentum is coming back, and the calls are coming back in, and I have, multiple, I have an appointment this afternoon. After we talk, I have one coming in next week already. So um, just doing something is making something happen. Um, but I'm keeping an eye on that number, and I'm trying to fill each week with a minimum number, which is not a deliberate task I was ever doing ever before. I was never saying – oh, I need to get four people in the door this week to talk to them about retaining us, and that will give me the three clients I need this week to make my numbers. I was never thinking that way. I mean, I have a business plan, and you guys show us that that's what we should be doing. But that's, I was just being lazy about that. That's the one thing I never really was deliberate about, and now that I'm following a calendar and being really disciplined, I'm being more disciplined about that. Um, and that's going to feed into the longer term, my yearly goals, um, which, you know, again, I fell completely short this year. But I will not next year because I know I will do it this way and be much more deliberate about my numbers. So if you were going to just summarize for everyone, because we covered a lot of ground here, the challenge that you came onto the show to share was that one day, from one day to the next, the phones just stopped ringing or they stopped ringing from the right people, the right prospects. Yep. And the solution that you implemented is what? To get back on a routine for my own well-being, like to do a workout every day and to do deliberate, specific marketing activities every day um, in the context of specific goals to, to meet each week. And... And I can't explain it. I mean, I'd like to say it's 100% my fault. It was 100% my negative energy that caused the phone to stop ringing. I mean, I, because I don't want to blame, oh, it's Google's fault. You know, there, there's an element that I believe something happened and the Google algorithms changed, blah, blah, blah. You know, but if I focus on these ex- outside things and say it's, it's the fault of all these things, the phone stopped ringing, it doesn't give me any control or doesn't put me in, in control of how my business is being run. And I'm choosing do things where I feel like I've done I can I'm really proud of everything I've done in the last eight days between 
achieving the workouts and achieving the marketing activities that I've done. Um, and I'm really enjoying the conversations I'm having with my business connections and the lunches I'm going to and coincidental meetups are occurring and bumping into people that, and the, you know, and the phone is ringing again from people I've reached out to in the last week or gotten some kind of touch from me. So it's, it's working. You know, I, serendipity happens when, when opportunity collides with preparation. Luck happens when yeah. opportunity collides with preparation. And what you're really talking about is you are setting in motion a whole bunch of good things around, around marketing, and those good things are now coming back to you. And, you know, when you stopped working out, you stopped setting in motion good things for yourself, and eventually – good things for yourself stop coming back to you. And I don't mean this in like a, you know, let's all go eat granola and beat on a drum in the middle of the night and hug a tree. I mean, in very practical, real way, right? Well, yeah, I because was treating it like if I just do the, if I only, I only need the minimum. I only need the minimum. I only need to do the minimum. And that's what, that's the result that my business was spitting out was the, the minimum. And the minimum really was, you know, September, I think, I think July, August, and September, we ran in the red. So, you know, that was going to come back to really haunt me if I didn't turn it around one way or the other. Um, well, you know, you're 47. You mentioned that earlier in the call, right? Yeah. You are making decisions today, and I'm 47 also, so I'm making decisions today that – are going to be a gift or a curse to the man I'm going to wake up as when I'm 67. You know, in 20 years, we will both be 67 years old, and the 67-year-old versions of us are, are sitting there, you know, either thanking us or cursing us for the decisions we're making today. And, you know, the decision you're making to work out and the decision that I make other than the last month to work out are, are going to really have a huge impact on our quality of life in the future. You know, likewise, the decisions you make, the decisions you make to write a business plan for your law firm, the decisions you make to keep track of your metrics, the decisions you make to, to, to monitor your finances, the decision you make to, to just put marketing stuff into action some of those things come back in a little while. Some of those things come back in a long time. But if you just keep putting those things in, if you keep acting on those things, it protects you. Because you can imagine someday you're going to be you know, 67 years old and you're going to step on some ice and you're going to slip. And while any other 67-year-old might have slipped, fall, break their hip, and die, you're going to slip, catch your balance, and go on with the rest of your day as if nothing ever happened, all because you made the investment to keep yourself physically fit. Well, it's the same thing with a business, right? You can afford to, you know, you can, when, when, when stuff happens in our lives, because we've built businesses, real businesses, you know, the business takes care of us when something right. goes wrong. You can you can um, nail for hip surgery and your business will still take care of you if you had to be. And I right. think that the, the, the again the switch that was flipped and the, the realization that I've been trying to you know wait to figure out all these years is that um, this is the way I need to market right now to get to that next level. And I always dreaded it. I knew I think I knew this. I just knew how much work it would be, how uncomfortable it could be to call people you haven't talked to in six months and say, how are you doing, just checking in and risk the rejection of them not wanting to talk to me, which is really what's been holding me back. And now I know I need to do it, and it is enjoyable, and I'm just holding myself accountable, and my coach is holding me accountable, and my husband is holding me accountable, and my staff is holding me accountable. And I would like to think it's it's all internal, that I'm I can, you know, function 100% on internal motivation and I just I know I can't and I thrive on the external nothing wrong with that and this is what's going to get me to that next level and I was so afraid this wouldn't work I was so afraid that putting this much time and energy into the marketing 
wasn't going to give me the result. I didn't even want to test that theory. So afraid of it not working. And now I have no choice. And it just, the my brain is just, it's like when I really, really, really needed money one month, three years ago, everybody I talked to, like I was a hammer and they were a nail. I sold them something and I made way more money than I even needed to to make my ends meet. And I knew that my, my brain would do that, that when faced with this, this huge black hole that was the month of September, that something would click. And I'm really happy that this seems to be it for now. I'm going to do this for full three months till the end of the year, reevaluate and and add to it or narrow it or whatever seems to be seems to be working. So thought I'd share that. Well, I appreciate that. And I'm sure there's lawyers listening to this who will get a lot of value from, from what you shared. Um, and um, not for nothing, but, you know, I, I have occasion to speak with probably more lawyers than most about the business of what's going on in their law firm on a daily, weekly basis. And I think that Google did change their algorithms recently. <laughs> You're not the first, second, tenth, or hundredth person I've spoken to who has reported something similar. We've seen some pretty weird stuff going on in our business as well. And, um, you know, but good for you for paying attention. Good for you to keeping track. Good for you for keeping track. Good for you for seeing it before the whole thing just completely blew up in your face and it was too late to do something about it. Or um, at least good for me for only allowing myself like one day to mope and then just saying, you know what, I got to do something. And, and I can't, because I can't control, I can only control Google so much. Why don't I take this as an opportunity? Like I did years ago when I had that document review job overlapping a solo practice and, I, and that ended. And I was like, great, now it's my opportunity to really step up the marketing and do this and that. And so I've, I've taken that same attitude with this. It's an opportunity to get back in touch one-on-one with my referral sources instead of relying on the Internet. So I'll tell you, every problem that I've ever encountered in my business has turned out to be an opportunity in disguise. And every time I and, – and because I know that from experience, my experience and the experience of all of our members, every time I see an opportunity – it's funny, I, I was talking, I was meeting with some members of my team today, and they were like dreading to tell me about a kind of a big problem that blew up recently. And they were like thinking I was going to like lose my cool. And I was starting to get giddy and excited because right. I knew that if we dug in, there was an opportunity in there. And sure enough, inside this, this enormous problem was an equally enormous opportunity that is actually going to make my business, I'm actually going to increase my personal income by almost 150% next year because of the solution we found to this, to this problem. This problem was, 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 was the gift wrap for the opportunity. Right. So, hey, I have to go. Anyway. I, I have had a great time talking through this issue and how I think I've started to solve it and i appreciate the opportunity to be on your podcast thank you for being with us and as always a pleasure speaking with you bye-bye i'll see you soon okay bye